Today on the ZabeCast, Kirk Cousins delivers in prime time and the bell tolls for Big Mac. Week 12 in the NFL in all of its glory and stupidity. The Tiger-Phil match was a flop. I demand a refund, but looks like I'm getting one anyway. All that plus the coming college football conundrum. Your essential Sports Talk Day starter is locked and loaded. So buckle up and let's go. Oh, here we go. Monday, November 26, 2018. Thank you for downloading. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Mine was fantastic. We hosted our in-laws. Mom, dad, sis, bro, two boys, our two girls, three dogs in the house, turkey, football, lounging around, cocktails, wine, dessert. Ooh, boy, I got to get on the treadmill. So let's get going on the weekend. I'm going to try to play more up-tempo now on Mondays. All right, let's start with the Vikings and Packers. That is a wrap. Not just for the Packers season, but probably a wrap, thank God, for Mike McCarthy. Coach McPositive. I'm not putting the entire blame for this loss on him, but he's a coach that keeps losing. Now, there's a larger Aaron Rodgers narrative that is unfolding that is very fascinating to me and will have to be talked about in the coming weeks. But this is a necessary thing, Packer fans, to understand and deal with. You have got to get this guy out. And I think it's long overdue. You know I've been banging the drum on this forever. But now it looks like it's actually going to happen. He loses you a couple of games every year through a variety of things that he just doesn't do very well, whether it's clock management or coming down hard enough on his players who do dumb shit. I mean, the, 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 the botch by Williams on the punt return is inexcusable. And it it's another special teams gaffe that happens at just the wrong time that costs your team perhaps the game. But Aaron Rodgers was not good. Oh, not even close. 17 to 28, a buck 98, some of that in garbage time. And he missed throws. The the, the throw that would have put him within 3 to Adams, it's a miss. It's a flat miss. You don't throw a flat bullet there. He had beaten his man by cleanly. He was in the clear by five steps. That's a balloon ball, and that's on Rodgers. There's another dirt ball on a short pass late in the game. The mechanics seem off with Rodgers, and man, his body language on the sidelines. He looks like a sad lumberjack. I texted this to the boys. I go, He's, he looks like sad lumberjack on the sidelines. Pouty, almost like he he just got off a day of work, long day cutting logs, goes to the lodge, and they're like, we're out of beer. What? Yeah, well, and we're out of whores, too. Sad Lumberjack Rogers. It's going to be an interesting final five weeks for the Packers, who are now 4-6-1. and one. Vikes improved to 6-4-1, and one, so that's two games up straight up, plus the Vikings have the tie break, plus the Bears are 8-3. and three. It is over. If I may have a word about words for just a second. So I'm watching the game and tweeting, which is something I do from time to time. And Al Michaels, during a timeout spent by the Packers on a fourth down and one play in which McCarthy was adamant they had not set the ball 
in time and wanted a reset or a pump up of the play clock. Sometimes coaches get it, sometimes they don't. Al Michaels says, and I know I am an Al Michaels hater, quote unquote hater. I don't hate him. I just don't like his style. The whining of Al Michaels. It's not my cup of tea. I recognize that he is a legend in play-by-play, but Al Michaels says there, and the Packers are compelled to take a timeout. So I tweet out, why does Al Michaels say they're compelled to take a timeout? You're not compelled to do anything that is against your strategic interests. And I put compelled in all caps, which, okay, it makes it sound like I'm yelling. And I'm not yelling. I just wanted to emphasize it. I probably should have put it in quotes or little stars just to make sure people know that's the word I'm focusing on. Well, I get I get somebody on Twitter that just says, your takes used to, I used to enjoy your takes. Now, this is what you're reduced to. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm a guy that likes words. I like words that mean specific things. And it points to the obliviousness of Michaels and most announcers this way as well in which you don't have to do anything in football. And that the value of a second-half timeout is worth so much more than what broadcasters and coaches realize. Some coaches realize it. Guys like McCarthy don't. It's a 14-14 game. There's like five minutes to go in the third quarter. You know what you do? You, you take your lumps, you take the penalty, and you punt is what you do. A punt there is far less damaging than burning a single timeout. And you saw how it played out down the stretch. One last thing on strategy. So the Vikings have the ball, fourth and two, driving up 10 with uh, three minutes and change to go, four minutes and change, something like that. And they go for it at about the 12-yard line on fourth and two. And it was a very odd decision because up 10, nine out of 10 coaches, 99 out of 100 times, kick the field goal to go up 13. And, of course, Michaels and Collinsworth approved of it. I understood, I guess, the rationale that two scores is two scores and that so what if you're up 13 versus 10? That's two touches of the ball by Rodgers to score two touchdowns to break your back. And given Rodgers' ability to throw rainbow Hail Marys, okay, I can see that being something that you'd be worried about. But to me, there's there's value in being up more than just a touchdown and a field goal, especially when you're indoors. And a field goal can be had. Indoor field goals, the range for most good kickers, and certainly Crosby has the leg, go all the way out to 60 yards plus. So I would have kicked the field goal, but I think you could argue that one either way. And that's one last thing I want to add about strategy in football. I try not to be the guy that is insistent that my view of a strategic decision is the only one and that I yell people down, you're, you're wrong about that. Now, I do believe that second half timeouts that are used for anything other than stopping the clock on defense, basically, are wasted timeouts in the second half. But there's a lot of strategic decisions that can go either way. I think that decision by Zimmer to go for it could have gone either way. But bottom line is, I love the ballsiness of it. I loved the, oh yeah, fuck you, hold my beer, watch this attitude of it. I like that vibe about Zimmer, too. And when the Packers go looking for their next coach, which they are going to have to do, um, find a guy that's got that edge, that Zimmer-like edge. He has 
He has a bristle to him. He has a prickle to him that I kind of like. Hates kickers, by the way. Hates them. <laughs> Even good kickers like Dan Bailey hates them. So I'm not going to leave it in the kicker's hands. Well, sure enough, he didn't. And the Packers go down. But just a thought or two on strategy. Sometimes strategic decisions are, as Steve Spurrier would say, like hindsight, 50-50. All right, so let me just get a quick thought on Rodgers going forward here. He does need to reinvent himself as a quarterback. You know, and I don't when I say reinvent, I don't mean change entirely who he is. Just reinvent with a twist, reinvent with a wrinkle, reinvent with a new offense, you know, with a new quarterback coach, with a new OC. Reinvent in a way that says, look, I can hold the ball and hold the ball and move eight ways in the pocket and then hit somebody shaking free downfield, but I don't have to do that every time. In fact, I'm not even going to try to do that every time because it's just not the way offenses, efficient offenses in today's game always operate. I think there's way too much of that. So Rodgers, I think, is facing an interesting period in his career here where he has been paid. He has been lauded to the point where everyone says he's the greatest to ever play the game. Not the greatest to play the game. He's the most talented. I think that's the saying. And I have fallen into that camp as well, saying he's the most talented to play the game. But he is so far off of what he was at, say, the peak of his superpowers, 2010, 2011, 2012, and even going forward for another couple of years, you know, the wasted McCarthy years, that um, he's got to reinvent himself. And that's, I think, something he's going to be able to do because I think the guy's a badass. It's just time, way past time, for there to be a shakeup, and I think it's coming. A quick thought on Adam freaking Thielen. This kid is a baller. I don't know how you find a guy that was a D3 guy that basically went to an, uh, an open tryout and can be so good that he's playing like a first rounder. And I did say this on Twitter. I said, when you find a guy like that, that's a UDFA or a seventh rounder, and he plays like a first rounder, that is a force multiplier, as they say in the military, to your roster and to your talent base. Because not only are you plucking a guy out of nowhere for free, basically, in terms of draft assets, that plays like a first rounder, but they're cheap as dirt. (laughs) Go look at what Adam Thielen is getting paid this year as a UDFA. Well, actually, not just this year, uh, last year. I, I could look it up right now. It doesn't matter. It's it's nothing. Now, that does make up for first-round busts like Laquan Treadwell. To a certain extent, you'd prefer to both hit on your first-rounders and get a couple of seventh-round or UDFA hits. And I've had several Redskins fans you know, hit me on my Twitter timeline saying Trey Quinn might be our guy. And, man, I tell you what, I love Trey Quinn. A zip-zap little white guy. Shakes free within the 10 to 15 yard line of scrimmage window, catches everything. Amazing. But Thielen's a badass. He just surpassed Randy Moss's record for 100 yard games in a single season on a night in which Randy Moss got his Hall of Fame ring and was honored. Nobody, but nobody is going to say Thielen greater sign Moss just because of this year, but he is having a phenomenal season. Can somebody explain to me the Hugh Jackson thing 
What do you mean, thing? I mean, the thing that Marvin Lewis was so eager to give him a job this season. It just, I don't understand it. Hugh Jackson seems like the nicest guy ever. But being a head coach, obviously now after a couple of tries at it in a couple of places, and a long leash in Cleveland where he went 1-31 and and kept his job, head coaching, not his thing. Kind of like with Norv Turner. Head coaching, not his thing. Not every coordinator is a good head coach. I don't understand why Marvin Lewis was so keen on, I got to get him, I got to get him. And the theory was, well, he'll he'll help out beating the Browns in their division. Uh, okay. Aren't the Steelers the team you got to worry about in the division? Aren't the Ravens the team you got to worry about? How's he going to help you exactly? And sure enough, on Sunday, not only did he not help the Bengals, I think he hurt them bad because it looked like that Cleveland locker room was pissed and ready to say, okay, here you go, old Hugh. Here's what we got for you. Of course, after the game, Hugh Jackson went to go shake and give what was probably going to be a nice bro hug, an athletic sportsman-to-sportsman bro hug to Baker Mayfield, and Mayfield just gave a shake of the hand, and that was that. A a little bit of respect, but not any more than that. After the game... Here was Baker Mayfield saying why it was he did what he did. Looked like you had a, a very brief encounter I saw before the game and then again after the game with, with Hugh Jackson. Did he have a chance to say anything to you? If so, maybe what did he say and what was that like? Um, he said, good job, good game. Um, yeah, that was brief. I didn't feel like talking. You or him? Me. I don't know. It left Cleveland, goes down to Cincinnati. I don't know. It's just somebody that was in our locker room asking for us to play for him and then goes to a different team. We play twice a year. Everybody can have their spin on it, but that's how I feel. So you had a, a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth? No, I mean, it's just like any rivalry game. That's just how it is now. That's how I'm going to treat it every time we play him. But it's it's nothing, you know, there's no hate. That's just how it is. That's how I'm going to treat it. And I think that's how our team should treat it too. I love it. This is this is now the first time that I have kind of gotten some Baker Mayfield momentum as a guy who wants to like this guy. He didn't totally disrespect him. He didn't go over and like crotch chop him and go, hey, yeah, how's it feel? He just he went over, he shook his hand, he didn't rebuff him that way, but he didn't he wasn't gonna make anything more of it. Of course, Demarius Randall also <laughs> picked the ball off. And handed it to Hugh, and Hugh grabbed it, and then just kind of patted Randall on the head, and then kind of just dumped the ball down by the side, like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be holding this thing. (laughs) I don't get it. Why is Hugh Jackson this magical being? I, 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 I don't understand. God bless Hugh Jackson. Good for Baker Mayfield. I know exactly where he's coming from. All right, as you probably could hear, I had a couple of things that were recorded in a very bad microphone, which was the built-in microphone on my MacBook Pro. I have a very serious problem on my hands now, apparently. First time this has ever happened. Just so you know, I record my podcast through a Mackie mixer that has a digital USB output 
And I plugged that right into the USB port in my MacBook Pro, 15-inch, uh, late 2015 model. Maybe a little bit older, I'm not sure. Well, for the first time ever, and I wasn't jostling it, the USB plug is coming out of the USB port. Now, maybe the plug has gotten loose, but I'm afraid it's not the plug. I'm afraid that I've got loose USB ports on my MacBook Pro, which I have held on to because I do not want to migrate to the new MacBooks because I want my ports. I want my card reader. I want my Thunderbolt ports. I need my Thunderbolt parts. I like the MagSafe uh, power cord. And I want my USB 3.0s. Now if they're loose, and I'm going to have to test it with other USB dongles and whatnot, I-, I could be fucked. Is there a way to tighten those up? Or is it like a uh, electrical socket? When the electrical sockets go bad, like... You know, hotel rooms or at the airport when there is a loose socket. It's like, I'm sorry to be graphic here, but it is a podcast. If you've got kids in the car, earmuffs. It's like when the town slut's been banged by everyone in town that she's so loose down there. You're like, I don't even feel anything right now. Of course, in real life, there is something called vaginal reconstruction. I don't know if they could do that with my USB ports, but anyone who is a computer expert or has had the same problem, let me know. But man, I will be pissed. I even spent 600 bucks to get a new screen on this thing uh, less than six months ago because I love it so much. Loose USB ports. No way to go through life, son. All right, hey, how about that golf match between Tiger Woods and Phil... Mickelson, the match. (sighs) Where to begin? Where to begin on this thing? First of all, I'm not opposed to the concept of it. Not at all. I've been a fan of the skins game over the years. I've been a fan of the night golf they used to do between Duvall and Woods and then later any number of other players. You know, just night golf, playing golf at night in the desert. I like exhibitions. I like trying to grow the game. I like things that are different. So I'm not opposed to the concept. And I didn't necessarily mind that the two of them were playing for $9 million. That was not their own $9 million. But after that, I didn't like anything about it. Except for the golf course, Shadow Creek, which, by the way, is unbelievable, as you probably saw if you watched it. That golf course does not look like it's in the Nevada desert. That's right. Because... When you have more money than God, or you're Steve Wynn, and you figure, i got to spend it before I can't see it anymore, you go out and you build a golf course with the help of Tom Fazio that is beyond belief. They dug and dug and moved dirt and trucked in all kinds of dirt and sand and everything else and put boulders and built lakes and installed plumbing and dropped in trees. It's unbelievable. It also costs five hundred dollars to play around and no i did not get comped last march when we played there you have to stay at one of the mgm grand properties tea times are limited 500 bucks everybody pays it you do get a limo ride out there so there's that but then you got to tip the guy and if you don't give tip him like a 100 bucks he's like really you're playing shit i'm like well yeah can i get a free limo ride do i have to tip you as well the golf course is awesome and it was cool to see it on tv 
That said, everything else, my God, I can't even begin to tell you the things that bother me about it. First of all, comically overstaffed with announcers. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous the number of people and bodies and celebrities they threw at it. Number two, Peter Jacobson, shut the fuck up. Don't you understand part of the miking players up part of the broadcast was so we could actually hear the way they think about playing a hole and talking to their caddies? I can't tell you the number of times Jacobson, who's apparently a hell of a fella, just wouldn't shut up. He's talking over the announcers. He's, I mean, he's talking over the caddies and their players. Outrageous. Ridiculous. Pissed me off and everyone else on Twitter. The trash talking. Ooh, where was that exactly? I thought that, uh, you know, oh, yeah, I like to give it to Phil, and he likes to give it to me back. I guess, hey, uh, good shot, bud. Yeah, hey, thanks, man. I guess that's the new trash talk on a golf course. The biggest problem I had was as it came down to the extra, well, let me let me rank the biggest problems I had with it. Big problem number one is two guys, empty golf course, four-hour round. This is my absolute white whale when it comes to golf. Pace of play, pace of play, pace of play. Oh, so four hours. Would you have something else to do? Who cares? It matters. The game's biggest stigma is that it's boring and it's slow. And so when you say, hey, we're in this big match, Tiger versus Phil, $9 million, and then you tune in, and you sit and watch Phil Mickelson on hole number one take three minutes almost to look at a 10-footer, which he missed. A lot of missed putts in this thing. Terrible for the game. They almost ran out. Well, they did run out of light. Of course, they had that makeshift 19th hole that they had to play three times, four times. I can't remember how many times. Um, pace of play is huge to me. It's just an abomination. Play quicker, for God's sakes. Or better yet, next time, take carts. Nobody would... Be upset if you took carts. Let's go. The other biggest thing was, with a chance to win on whatever the second pitch and putt under the lights, goofy golf made up tiebreaker hole, Mickelson's in for par and Tiger is facing a a dicey six-footer under construction Klieg lights for $9 million or to not lose $9 million. Make him putt it. That's the point of a match. And they build it, and you can say, well, it was a classy move. Phil said he didn't want to win like that. And it's an exhibition, Zabe, lighten up. Yeah, but I was told this was a match. I was told this was a, hey, man, we're going to put our game faces on. There's going to be ribbing and trash talking. $9 million. Let's play for something that will make you nervous. Bullshit. A real match for any amount of money, two bucks in golf. Nobody gives somebody a five- to six-foot putt to win or to lose the match. You just don't do it. It's ridiculous. Way outside the circle of friendship. Which leads me to believe that both Phil and Tiger had a agreement in place, a gentleman's agreement, that there was going to be a purse split, that the whole notion of $9 million to the winner and loser gets nothing but a sandwich and some range balls is bullshit. I don't believe that for a second. I think they had a 60-40 split or something like that. And you might say again, well, so what? Doesn't matter, it's their money. It's not what it was billed as. Stop billing me this fake bullshit. Well, you're the sucker, Zabe, because you 
thought that it was going to be real. And to that I go, you're right. That I can't argue with. You are right. I bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. And I literally bought it to the tune of $20. And now I'm going to make sure I get my $20 back from AT&T slash DirecTV because since Bleacher Report couldn't even handle the online payment system, they then had to stream the match for free. And they then were compelled to say, well, we're going to probably have to give refunds because we're going to be facing lawsuits from people who did pay for it when it was just being given away for free on the Bleacher Report website. That's embarrassing right there. Nothing to do with Tiger and Phil, but that's embarrassing. You had one job. Build a website that could stream video and take payments. This is done on the internet all the time. All day, every day, and you failed at it. Good job. So who knows if they'll take a bath on it. They had enough corporate sponsorship, Capital One, and they had commercials during a pay-per-view, which was sort of an odd thing, but okay, whatever. I'm not against the concept. Here's what I think the concept should be. You ready? Two Joes versus two pros for, if not $9 million, call it a million dollars or $2 million. You get two guys who are average, pretty good single-digit players, they could even play from tees that are a tee box or two up from the pros. Give them strokes and then let them play. Those Joes would talk some shit. Those Joes would stick the needle in. They got nothing to lose. Tour players, they got agents and they've got marketing deals. They're not going to say anything controversial. So that would be that would be fun to me. I'd love I'd be interested to see that. And they would hit some squirrely ass shots. And they would pull off some miracle shots. They'd make a long putt, and they'd act like jackasses. They'd get on one of the pros' nerves, and then there'd be like real tension if like needling Rory McIlroy went too far. Of course, the pros would never go for it. They'd be like, "Wait, I could get embarrassed by two six handicaps, and uh, for a couple million dollars on national TV, what's in it for me?" But we could tweak it some. Otherwise. It was a dud, a debacle. I would say that the match between Tiger and Phil lost 7-6 and six in the overall scheme of things. College football and the game of the weekend was, of course, Ohio State rising up to upset Michigan and Jimmy Hardpaw yet again. Oh, what a dagger. It was so fun. And not that I'm a huge Urban Meyer fan, but it was so fun watching Jim Harbaugh have to go shake hands at midfield after the game, after losing a game that you know they're like, we have got to beat these fuckers this year. For God's sakes, we're the better team. Ohio State's reeling. Let's do this thing. And they couldn't. It was a disaster. Special teams, gaffes, all over the place. Just unbelievable. Jimmy Hardpaw. Harbaugh looked like he had swallowed a fistful of tacks as he walked off the field. Oh, poor Michigan. Nobody's crying for Michigan. Now, this is what is going to be very interesting. So the overall picture for the college football weekend is like this. Ohio State wins, and they have an interesting profile, assuming they can beat Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game. And that, by the way, is no lock, no gimme at all. They could lose... To anybody, when you have to go to overtime against Maryland, like Ohio State did just a week ago, you could lose to anybody. But let's say they beat 
Northwestern. Let's say they beat Northwestern looking pretty good with a little bit of style points. Man, you've got an interesting profile there. First of all, you've got two teams that are basically now locked into the title or to the into the playoff, which is Clemson because they're too good and they're going to roll over. Uh, they're going to they're going to destroy who are they play who are they playing in the ACC championship game. I guess I should know that before I start the podcast. ACC championship game, Clemson versus Pitt. There you go. Uh, opening line on that game is Clemson minus twenty four. So Clemson's going to roll over Pitt most likely, and they're going to make the 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 playoff. Notre Dame, having survived and rallied uh, after falling behind to USC, they're in. So that's two teams already basically locked in, let's just assume. Alabama's going to play Georgia, and you've got Ohio State and Oklahoma lurking on the outside. It's essentially a four-for-two situation, and it's going to be very hard to sort of, you know, it's going to be hard logically to figure out, okay, who deserves to be where and how, and what's your rationale on this? If Georgia loses to Alabama, I think they will be out. If Georgia beats Alabama, I also think, without a doubt, Alabama's going to be in. So you could have Oklahoma and Ohio State win by a million each in their conference championship games, and you would have Alabama still in the Final Four. And I wouldn't be against it, per se, either. I think Georgia is the one team, you know, last year they lost to Alabama twice by about six points total. The one team, I think, that can really match them, punch for punch. And so, be interesting to see what happens. I would be fine if Alabama loses to Georgia, as long as they lose in a credible manner. If they completely fall flat for some reason, inexplicably, then no, I can't see putting them in. But otherwise, I mean, look at what they have done. Alabama, you know, with their 50-burger again, against Auburn, I think set an SEC record for the most 50 burgers in a season. If you really want the four best teams in, you have to put them in. And if you want to complain about, well, it's another year with two SEC teams in there, you look somebody in the eye and you go, you're goddamn right. Because they're the best conference. Sorry. Sorry to everybody else. Best conference. Ohio State obviously has a horrible loss. That was the blowout loss at Purdue. And it was also the horrible win against Maryland that's going to cut against them. I think Ohio State is very unlikely to get in, but it could be interesting. Well, well, who could have seen this one coming? The Reuben Foster saga has come to an end with the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners having to cut Reuben Foster after he committed another act of alleged domestic violence in a hotel room on the road the night before their game against the Buccaneers on Sunday. What? You're kidding me. Really? Funny how they said, the Niners, we have a zero-tolerance policy. And there are some people actually applauding the Niners for saying they did the right thing. They lived up to the word. They had zero tolerance. Even though it was only a misdemeanor charge for allegedly slapping the phone out of his girlfriend's hands and uh, pushing her around her hotel room, which I don't advocate. I don't defend either. Absolutely, you should be charged with a crime on that front but it wasn't as bad as it could have been or it was allegedly the last time around but the last allegations his girlfriend recanted 
and the allegations fell apart, and the case fell apart, and it was dismissed, and the Niners said, we were very troubled by this, but we're going to give them another chance. Oh, he had a weapons charge as well, which you would think in a state like California, which has very serious gun laws, that you know, you're like, oh, this guy's fucked. Nah, I knocked that down to a misdemeanor. Somehow Reuben Foster was back playing football for the Niners. Not no more, he ain't. You cannot applaud the Niners for, well, zero tolerance. They followed through with it. Bullshit. They have zero tolerance until they had lots of tolerance for it the last time around. And they're like, hmm, does the case being dropped give us enough leeway and enough breathing room from a PR standpoint to bring him back? Uh, Yes. Can still be a hell of a player on the field if we can all just sort of overlook this. I remember him coming out of Alabama. It was like, holy shit, this guy's great. I want him on my team. I remember as a Redskin fan seeing him sort of fall down the draft board just a bit through the middle part of the first round. I'm thinking, let's go get this guy. Let's go get this guy. And it's hard to know how much of a troubled past and how a guy is going to be as a pro. Clearly the Niners thought, yeah, maybe some off-the-field issues, but overall worth the risk. Well, crap seven, clear the line. In today's NFL, Reuben Foster's career is, as Billy Packer once said, over. Let's take a quick jaunt around the NFL, hit some stuff from the games that were Sunday. Baltimore beats Oakland 34-17, to and Lamar Jackson was good again. And he was good without having to throw the football. Also, there was a Terrell Suggs touchdown, which I'm sure you've seen the highlights by now, on a recovered fumble that was just sick. And the way he looked back and faked the lateral, like, hey, is Ed Reed still back there? Because that's what we used to do. No, Ed Reed's retired. You're going to have to do this yourself. Baltimore now is in the mix for a possible wild card. Buffalo beat Jacksonville 24-21 in a bitter blood game up at Orchard Park. Fights, ejections, harsh words, Jalen Ramsey calling Buffalo and and uh, Josh Allen trash. <laughs> it was uh it was interesting to say the least. There was a play in which uh the Jacksonville receiver caught a touchdown and would not let go of it. Let me look at my notes here. Uh, uh, this would be, uh, not Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb had a hell of a catch, by the way. Um, Moncrief. Moncrief caught a touchdown. Wouldn't let go. It was a simultaneous possession. Referee ruled touchdown. They're holding on to it sort of like two snakes wrapped in a death spiral <laughs> for a minute, at least two minutes, two minutes, a long time, like a minute whistles are blowing, referees are patting them on the back. That's it. Plays over, touchdown, give it up. Moncrief is like, no, fuck it. My touchdown, I'm not getting rid of the ball. And they laid there like two snakes entangled for a good long time. Pushing and shoving started breaking out. And then next thing you know, Leonard Fournette, who is not available to play because of various injuries for pretty much half the season, again this year, decides he's going to be Johnny Tough Guy and go start throwing punches. Throwing punches at fellow NFL players who have helmets on, who absorb far more damage and far more punishment on a routine, everyday play. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It is the epitome of fake tough guyism in which a player will do that. 
So Fournette got ejected from the game. Shaq Lawson got ejected from the game. The two of them were still having to be separated in the tunnel afterwards. It's like, okay, tough guys. Do you want to go play football or you want to be fake tough guys? Josh Allen ran for a billion yards in this game. And by a billion, I don't mean a billion, but I mean a bunch. For a big lumbering lurch like he is, you you have no idea how it is he can run for so many yards. 99 yards and a touchdown for Josh Allen in this game. Seattle beat Carolina 30-27 to as Sebastian Janikowski... Oh, shut up. All right, computer. I'm clicking on the score. Sebastian Janikowski with the game-winning field goal. Seattle is in the mix now all of a sudden. They're 6-5, and five, and they play four of, the next, four of their final five, I believe, at home. Something tells me they're going to be a wild card in the NFC, and they are going to be a tough out. Just when you thought the demise of the dirty, rainy city bitch pigeons was about to happen playing good football. Pretty damn amazing. Mentioned the Cleveland win over Cincinnati, 35-20, the final there. The Patriots beat the Jets 27-13. Gronk was back and made all the difference. Uh, Big touchdown catch for him while getting blasted. Sort of none of the equations on offense to be a championship team. None of the math works if Gronk is not in there. The Philly, the Eagles beat the Giants 25-22 to after Pat Shermer, that idiot, doesn't give Saquon Barkley the ball more than three times or four times in the second half. Uh, great job there. Barkley went off in the first half of that game, and then pretty much they just stopped going to him. Philly was dead. My joke about the NFC East being a, a pillow fight to 9-7, and seven, Mr. X texted me saying, looks like Philly lost their pillow too. I'm like, yeah, Philly has already left the room with the feathers flying and they've gone to complain to mommy that, you know, the Giants hit him too hard in the face with their pillow. But they come back from down 19 to three and they win 25-22. Yes, that was my lock of the week. Thank you for reminding me. They didn't win by six. Sorry. I really, really thought the Eagles were better than this, but the Eagles now are like, we're in the mix. We're five and six. We got the Redskins coming up next Monday night. And if we win that game, say the Eagles, we're 6 and 6, the Redskins are 6 and 6, the Cowboys are hosting the Saints, they're going to be 6 and 6. <laughs> it could be an 8 and 8 division this year. So hold on to your hats, kids. It's going to be an interesting finish. Tampa beat San Francisco 27 to 9. I mentioned the Reuben Foster arrest. I believe teams that have had a player arrested and subsequently kicked off the team for domestic violence the night before a road game are a combined two, 107-1 and all-time against the spread. So I guess it's no shock that uh, Nick Mullins and company weren't able to get it done. The L.A. Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers, ripped the Cardinals limb from limb, 45-10 to your final, as P. Rivers delivers, what, the first 28 in a row before missing a pass? He broke good old Mark Brunel's record for consecutive passes to start a game without an incompletion. But unlike that time that our boy Brunel did it, uh, he actually threw real man passes, real big boy passes beyond the line of scrimmage, darts to the sidelines that were being hauled in with tiptoe precision. Philip fucking Rivers is the man. 
you gotta love P. Rivers. I love that Philip Rivers is great without looking good because he throws that push ball that just you're like, how is he able to do it? He's not that mobile, but he's elusive enough at least in the pocket. He has played, I think, 207 straight games. He has a mountain of statistics. He is better in every category than Eli Manning, for whom he was traded for on draft day. He just doesn't have any playoff success. And that will be held against him by a lot of the punditry. And he loves to talk trash. He can talk shit without being a douchebag, without being a dick about it. He can talk trash and then after the game go, hey man, good game, man, good game. And he's got that North Carolina sort of southern redneck act going on. The Colts rallied to beat the Dolphins 27-24, to and Andrew Luck is back. I mean, all the way back. Not just a monster game statistically, yet again. 30 of 37, 343 yards, three touchdowns, did have two picks. But he rallied the Colts for a game-winning field goal with a beautiful play on a heavy rush ducked a guy, moved forward, dashed to his left, found a guy open, boom, hits him. Vintage Andrew Luck. I like the guy. It's hard not to like Andrew Luck. The neck beard and the super deep voice. <laughs> and the sort of the goofball way about him. <laughs> Andrew Luck is back. I just don't know why they insist on trying to break him again because according to my spy, Eric Gitter, Andrew Luck was sent out to go catch a pass again this week and nearly got his head taken off. What in the fuck are you doing? Mike Vrabel, smarten up. Stop. Take that play out of the playbook. I don't care how it worked in practice. I don't care if Andrew Luck's like, oh, I want to get it. I almost had it last week. Let's try it again. No. Passing the ball back to the quarterback is, I think, one of the least effective plays in the NFL. Maybe it works every now and then. I think coaches are way too infatuated by it. Colts are back in the mix at 6-5 and and looking pretty, pretty good. And finally, Denver beat Pittsburgh 24-17 with the help of a slew of turnovers from the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think four total. A back-breaking interception by Big Ben in the end zone as they are driving for what would have been the game-tying touchdown. James Conner also had a bad fumble as they were driving deep into Broncos territory in the third quarter. Juju Smith-Schuster continues to shine. A 100-yard touchdown catch on a monster day for him, 189 yards total. St- uh, Broncos, though, Yohu Nye, they shot me in Denver. Uh, Pittsburgh is now 7-3-1, and one, if that is accurate, what I'm looking at on the NFL.com website. Seven three and one, or were they seven three and one coming in? Don't you hate it when you yeah it's seven three and one now? Okay, they're updated. You would think you could trust the NFL.com to actually you know update their records, and they did. And then you got tonight's game, which is a pretty good one, and I should say more than pretty good because hello week twelve coming to a close. Hug it, love it. Season's precious. It's running out before our eyes. Every game is good. Tennessee at Houston. Uh, five and five Titans against the seven and three Texans. I'm taking the home team minus the points. Yes, I am because I'm a I'm just a square player. That's what I am, and I I'm terrible at betting any Tennessee game, and I don't like betting on them, even though they cover the spread. I'm sure a good number of times. I can't do it. I won't do it. Houston minus, please. 
All right, we're going to wrap this podcast up today. It's a bit shorter than what you are accustomed to, and I'm trying to chunk up, at least on Mondays, uh, more topics and more things in smaller bite-sized nuggets. This is probably going to be, for a lot of you, boo, I hate this. Some people might say, no, I actually like it. I've decided that I think I really need to get my daily podcast closer to 40 minutes or less. That way, if I deliver it to you overnight, it can be that first thing you listen to as you head to work. The average commute is probably right around 40 minutes, I'm guessing. So that's going to be my goal here for at least Mondays when there's a lot of things to talk about. And I know. There's still a ton of things for the weekend you didn't talk about as well. I know. Well, we'll get to it during the week. I'm still going to have my regular cast of characters and cast of guests who come through and include more people from outside the circle as well as interviews and hopefully some bigger names, interesting people and longer form stuff. Steakhouse Confidential is set for Tuesday. We're going to have on former Washington Bullet, Kevin Grevy. So we will talk about the NBA back in the 70s, which is glorious. Get some good tales from him. Got some other ideas for some Steakhouse Confidentials. I told my buddy Juan Account Rhodes, who went on a long Twitter rant today about how do we fix the Redskins and went from everything to the roster, quarterback, coach, uniforms, and stadium. I said on Twitter, I go, you know what? We should really have a big Redskins powwow. Me, Juan Account, and two other really hardcore Redskins fans maybe bloggers, maybe podcasters. I don't really want any actual media members who cover the team because I think they are a little bit more cautious. They're not as much of a fan. I want a fan summit to say, all right, what are we doing going forward to try to fix the Redskins? And what are the obstacles in place? What are the things that we can't overcome? And if we can't have stake while doing that, either at DC Prime. Maybe we'll go have wings somewhere and I'll put up, set up the microphones and we'll just hash it all out. That, that'll that take at least an hour to go through. And I'm sure for everyone who doesn't give a shit about the Redskins, they're going to go delete or fast forward or no thank you. And that's just the way it's going to be. Some of these you'll like, some of these you're not going to like. I'll end on this today. I had a great chance. I had a great time, I should say, in the very household that I spent so many hours growing up on the mean streets of McLean, and that was in the household of 7900 Stirrup Cup Lane, the house that was no more than 50 yards across the street from me, and the home of one Alan Abasi. That's right, my boyhood best friend. Al is in Los Angeles now working for Fender Guitars, He is their, I think, senior product development advisor, manager, something. I don't know if he's a VP or not, but he's in charge of product development. And he works for Fender Guitars, one of the top four guitar makers in the world. And he lives in Studio City, California. He goes to work in Hollywood. He is not married. He's never been married, no kids, and happily so. And I said, look... If you're not distraught, if you're not despondent, don't make any sharp moves. I said, if this is if this is working for you, try everything else before you try that. But I hadn't talked to Al in, in quite a while, and he used to live in Phoenix, and now he's out in Los Angeles. And it was just 
great for two reasons. One, because his parents are still alive and they were with us in the family room and we were talking about everything. But it was also great because Al recently had a heart attack. Yes, and he is my age. And this is now the second friend my age who has had a heart attack. And this is what happens when you get to be 50 years old and out of shape. Now, Al is not out of shape at all. He's He was in good shape. He's now in phenomenal shape because he said, look, it kind of scared me straight. I go, well, you were already in good shape. He got he, he he felt something while hiking up, you know, one of the canyons there above the Hollywood Hills sign or the Hollywood sign in the Hollywood Hills. And luckily he drove himself to the hospital. It turned out that they got him in there and they stented it up and they said, okay, well, you should be good to go. And he has been kicking ass every, ever since. So anytime one of your boyhood chums has a knock on the door from the Grim Reaper, it's great to spend time with them. But more importantly, I just thought, like, this is so great because Al and I used to play in a, you know, a garage band together. We used to play, I played drums, he played guitar in my basement and in his basement and in the driveway of our neighborhoods and at the park picnic every year and later on in high school and various garage bands. We used to play music and to think that my buddy Al is now working for Fender Guitars in a high position, living in Hollywood, is awesome. I love it. I mean, I feel like I know a guy who made the NFL, basically, or made you know, the, the pinnacle of his career. And he, he downplays, ah, you're, over, you're overplaying it. He's like, I'm not on tour with a, with a rock band. I'm not living in a huge mansion. Don't overplay it. And I go, dude, don't undersell yourself. You are doing what is part of what you love. Maybe you don't love every aspect of the job, but you, you know, you are doing something that I think you were made to do. Pretty awesome. And I told him, I said, shit, I want to come out there. Do you have an extra bedroom? He goes, yeah. And I said, well, bet the Rams are going to play a home playoff game in January. Why don't we target that? And he said, come on. So maybe that will be the case. That's enough for today. Thank you for listening. Download, subscribe, comment, and like. Tell three friends. Get the Zabecast app as well. It's free and delicious. Podcasts are the future. It's like Netflix for your ears. Email me with topics and suggestions at zabeatyahoo.com. Now go polish up those credit cards and just kill it today on Cyber Monday. And we will see you next time.